Welcome to the STR Data Lab. Hello and welcome to the STR Data Lab. I'm Jamie Lane, the Chief Economist at AirDNA, and I'm joined here with our CEO, uh, Demi Horvat, for her first time on the STR Demi. Let me Sorry. help you, Jamie, the STR <laughs> Data Lab podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, Demi, for joining. Maybe we start for our listeners on just who you are and what you do at AirDNA and, and what you're doing on the podcast today. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, so I'm the CEO at AirDNA. As to what I do, gosh, <laughs> I try to lead the company and do my very best. Uh, but I guess with the quality of the rest of our executive leadership team, I would say not much. <laughs> <laughs> I know that that's not true. Glad someone thinks so. So, I maybe you can. I you've been at AirDNA now what a year and a half? Yeah, just about. I started in February of 2022. So, I know we are just at the Skiff conference. You've been with AirDNA. You've been in the industry now for a year and a half. So maybe just give some high level thoughts on. Maybe what you heard at Skift, what your thoughts are on where the industry is at the moment. Yeah, first and foremost, it was an awesome conference. It was great. We all braved the smoky New York skies to be there, well, with all the wildfire smoke, and it was 100% worth it. Um, <laughs> but it was just a really well done conference. I thought the quality of the speakers was very, very high, and it just ran super smoothly, which Obviously, it's not the primary point, but definitely makes for a great experience. And then my takeaway on the topics of the conversations was, I think uh, one of the Skift researchers kicked off at the very beginning with a thought exercise where he put up a graph and asked, are we at the trough of disillusionment, I think was the term in terms of industry outlook, where has it been blockbuster growth over the past couple of years, but we're about to see a very dramatic decline. And luckily, I think our perspective is that we're not looking over the precipice at that trough of disillusionment. And it seemed like a lot of other folks feel the same way. There was definitely a tone of optimism around people talking about what they're seeing in their business, the growth that they're still seeing. And then there were definitely a couple of speakers that were a little bit more pessimistic, but I feel pretty comfortable with the fact that we've got a couple economists on staff, including yourself. Um, so we've got the the really granular and helpful data of the macroeconomic outlook and more specifically where we're seeing resiliency as far as travel demand um, that obviously supports this industry, even if there are other challenges more broadly. That's great. So overall, you think it was I'm still optimism in the room uh, at the conference? of where we're going as an industry? I felt so. I mean, I think around the edges, there were some people who were feeling a little bit more pessimistic, but I felt like the energy in the room was a positive one, for sure. That's great. And as we sort of talked about on stage and, and we talked about our outlook, like what, where do you see AirDNA as sort of I'm fitting into the sort of puzzle piece of the industry? And and. Broadly, what, what are we trying to do, do for the industry? Yeah, so our vision at AirDNA is for AirDNA data to power every meaningful decision in the short-term rental market. 
Uh, and given the conversations that we were a part of at Skift, I think we're in a really great position to do that. In our speech, I talked a bit about just the investments that we're making in our data and in our product to make the data that is underneath it even more usable and interactive and accessible for people. And I think the data story and actually understanding the facts behind the narrative becomes even more important when you're in an environment of change. And there has certainly been a ton of change in this industry over the past couple of years with COVID, with the COVID recovery, and we're still seeing elements of that COVID recovery, for example, in U.S. travel having picked back up, but travelers coming to the U.S. being a little bit slower, slower behind. And as we talk about just the macroeconomic landscape, inflation, mortgage rates, interest rates, all of that, I think just means that people need better information because they need to be nimble. And we're in the information game, so it feels like a really positive place to be as AirDNA. That's great. So, say, oh, sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but I was very excited during our speech when you got to the data slide with the outlook on the industry, what's been happening. That's when all of the phones came out. So we know that people want that information. They want to understand the true narrative rather than relying just on anecdote or maybe just what's happening in their business. They really want that bigger picture. And that was evidenced in our session for sure. That's great. What what was your favorite session at the conference? Ooh, my favorite session. Gosh, I would have to say there was one panel where there was a discussion about uh, regulation that happened kind of later in the day. I thought that one was quite interesting. Yeah, and and shout out to Rafit that and the Skip team that makes all the videos available for free on their YouTube page. So it definitely we'll we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but. So you can go through and listen to Demi and I's panel, but also uh, all the other uh, great sessions that were were had. I know I've already gone back and and rewatched a couple of them. Zero point five x speed, just to make sure you internalize everything, right? Right. <laughs> Sounds like you had a really fun weekend. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we uh, 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 move on and, and talk about industry performance. So I think yes. the the goal of today is to talk about what we saw in May in terms of industry performance and also dive into the our latest Outlook report, which was as of recording isn't out yet, but as of everyone listening to this should be out on our website. Awesome. Yeah. Should we uh, should we switch seats for a second? I'm happy to ask you the questions. I know uh, <laughs> at our lunch last week, you were full of answers for all of the uh very, very intense questioning that uh, that folks were asking you about. So tell me, Jamie, what happened in May in the industry? Yeah, so it, it's almost like a, a broken record. I think I said this the exact same thing on the, the podcast last month of just how things are performing relative for the industry. So we saw another month of strong demand. So overall demand was up 11.9%. That was slightly up from last month of 11.4%. We did see, and what we've been calling for in our outlook for essentially the past year was supply growth begin to slow. And this has been one of the biggest drops that we've seen uh, in terms of year-over-year change in, av- in available listings. So in May, supply was up 15.3%. 
uh, and that was down from last month where it was up over 18%. And if you think back to this time last year, when supply was growing and essentially 24, 25%, we've seen a real slowdown in supply growth. And broadly for and people in the industry today, for operators, for, for hosts, like where we've seen supply growth leading to occupancy declines and a slowing of supply growth is a good thing. 15% is still really strong supply growth, but uh, it's a lot easier to absorb than when it was going up 25%. We see that in the occupancy numbers. So last summer, occupancy was declining 10%. Uh, last May, actually, we saw a 10% decline in occupancy. This May, uh, it was only a 3% decline. So yes, occupancies are still going down. If you're I'm thinking about it for your unit, I mean, that's on a unit basis, 3% less demand than you were seeing last year when it was already down 10%. So that we've now seen 15 consecutive months of declining occupancy, which is a big deal. Uh, but as we like to try to remind people, those are off of the highs of 2021, which were record highs. And we're still well above 2019 levels of occupancy. ADRs, so the average nightly rate that guests are paying are still up, albeit slightly. We saw an increase of, of 3% in May on a year-over-year -year basis, and that put revenue as essentially flat. Um, so ADR increased 3%, occupancy declined 3%, means the average host, average unit was earning essentially the exact same as last year, uh, slightly less occupancy, slightly uh, higher rate. And that uh, is a bit higher than we saw last month where uh, revenues were down 3%. So uh, I suspect we're we're going to hover around this sort of flat to slightly down in terms of revenue. Uh, and that's our, our, our outlook for the rest of this year is that and RevPAR is going to be down in about 1.1%. And that's essentially what we've been at for the first half of 2023, down down about a percent. Got it. Super helpful. And could you maybe give a little bit more detail for people on the why driving some of those trends, like supply growth? What is yep. causing that slowdown in the growth rate? What is causing ADR changes that you just walked through? A good sort of context is when we went into the pandemic. Um, so think lockdowns in New York City in 2020. Uh, that caused a lot of people to remove their supply from short-term rental inventory. Uh, and throughout the back half of 2020 into 2021, uh, we saw essentially a 25% decline in the available listings um, uh, in the U.S. Demand started to come back really quickly. Uh, that pushed occupancies to record highs. That allowed, that gave operators, that gave hosts sort of renewed pricing power. Uh, and we saw a rapid increase in ADRs, uh, which really sort of juiced the returns for investors in short-term rentals. And that sort of came to a head in 2022 when we saw a record new investment. So anyone that was, I sort of had thought over time that they should uh, sort of enter the short-term rental industry. And the sort of joke at the time, even on, uh, I think we talked about on the podcast is, you could put up a 
and a tent in your backyard and probably rent it out in 2021 and early 2022. With rising interest rates, though, and and we saw the Fed, uh, we saw inflation um, start to be a problem in the overall economy. Uh, there was way too much demand for goods, given the available supply, sort of supply chain bottlenecks. And you saw it in the short-term rental industry. There just was not the number of available listings uh, for the amount of demand that there was for people that wanted to travel and stay in short-term rentals, uh, which pushed prices up. Uh, the Fed and this, the U.S. Federal Reserve is trying to slow overall consumption. So they rose interest rates. Uh, and how that sort of manipulates or triculates, tri- triculates trickles into the overall uh, economy um, is in, in one clear, direct way is to making borrowing costs more expensive uh, so people buy fewer homes. And we have seen that. We saw mortgage rates go from roughly 2% to 2.5% uh, in 2021 to now they're at an over 7% today, uh, which is and essentially doubled the cost of, of a mortgage uh, for the exact same uh, home uh, or home value. Got it. Uh, and that has really slowed and begun to slow investment in short-term rentals. Amazing. So just uh, for anyone who remembers as little of intro micro and macro as I do, <laughs> I think what <laughs> I'm getting here is there is a massive amount of demand growth, supply, People saw that opportunity in the demand growth and decided to list their properties. And then some of that slowdown in the growth rate of incremental supply is being driven by macroeconomic factors like mortgage rates having increased and homes being less affordable for people to buy as investment properties. Would you say that that's the fifth grader version? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important on how you called it out, though, that it's more on the supply side that of the cost of investment uh, that has slowed industry growth, not necessarily on the demand side or like what the revenue potential of properties mm-hmm. has. Yes, it's been flat to slightly down, but it's still really elevated relative to 2019. The average short-term rental host, average property still earning about 30% more than it did in 2019. So I suspect if interest rates were still at two, two and a half percent, we'd still be seeing supply growth of 20, 25, maybe even 30%. So that sort of difference between the two is really in the Fed at work of trying to slow investment. And we're seeing that uh, work. Uh, we're seeing ho- home prices start to drop and they've dropped nationally around 5%. And anecdotally, you're hearing out there that and there's not and there's not 20, 25 bidders uh, on each home. There's uh, some weakness out there in the housing market. And, and broadly, and it's assumed that we're in a housing recession right now and there's low inventory. There's not a lot of opportunity to invest given that people... And if they don't have to move, they're not selling their home. Uh, they don't want to trade their 2% interest rate for a 7% one, uh, which has broadly caused a, a slowdown in the housing market, which is what the Fed was trying to do. Got it. Super helpful. 
And can you speak a little bit more to what's happening to those homes that are not transacting? I know we've done a little bit of research into those homes landing in the short term or long term rental market. What's going on there? Yeah, I we do and suspect, especially in, in maybe more suburban markets and um, some of the destination resort areas where people that maybe had a, a, a second home or their primary home weren't intending to use it uh, for that purpose anymore. Uh, maybe they're looking to move. And given that they can could keep that low interest rate, maybe go rent in the area that they're moving to and keeping that home, bringing it into the, either the short-term or the long-term rental market, which is I'm, what we hypothesize is some of the reason why supply growth has remained so strong over the past year. We're now a year past when they started to raise interest rates. And we had been staying around an 18, 20% growth. I know this was really the first month that we saw a substantial slowing. Uh, so maybe people realizing that, I'm beginning to re realize that this high interest rate period is one that's going to be here for a while. And we're seeing that show up in the numbers. Mm -hmm. Super helpful. Thank you. You touched on this a little bit earlier, but definitely one of the things that also came through in the SCIFT conference was just that not everybody's experiencing the exact same effect. It feels like it's a tale of many cities. Can you speak a little bit about the segmentations that you've talked through in our presentation? Who's seeing what and what location types are being affected in what way? Yeah. So it's we're definitely seeing different trends play out uh, uh, in the industry. And how I like to categorize it, and we have our six location types, which I've talked about extensively, and we sort of walk through in our sort of uh, our written reports. So we put out our overview, our over reports twice a year, uh, of which we have forecast by location type. And then we put out our monthly reviews and we always walk through in the six location types. So urban, suburban, coastal, mountain, small town, mid-sized cities. But it's helpful for me to just sort of categorize those into three sort of large cities, destination areas, and sort of the small and mid-sized cities. The large cities are still areas where demand hasn't fully come back yet, specifically in the urban areas. That's in part because of urban, um, of international travel not coming fully back to the U.S. So broadly, we still see travel spend from international guests about 20% below 2019 levels, all the while U.S. outbound spend, so Americans traveling overseas, is fully back and, and well above 2019 levels. Uh, and that is really impacting some of these cities. So areas like um, New York, Boston, Miami, Chicago, L.A., Oahu really do depend on international travel. And like in New York, 40% of demand was coming from international guests. And the fact that that's not back yet has really impacted those cities. But they are some of the areas where we're seeing demand come back quickest and now where we're seeing um, some of the fastest growth uh, today. Likewise, in the suburban area of the cities, given the low available housing supply, uh, many people are using short-term rentals uh, for temporary housing. If they do have to move to a city, they can stay in a short-term rental for a few months while they find more permanent housing, which is helped, especially in the past year, year, year or two. Coastal and destination markets, those are the ones that were and did so well during the pandemic of 
everyone sort of wanted to escape the cities. They primarily see their demand coming from domestic, so U.S. travelers, both pre- and post-pandemic. And those are the ones now seeing maybe a little bit of weakness in demand, given that now people are starting to travel overseas again. So maybe you were going to Destin for your family vacation uh, last year, and now you're like, hey, maybe we should go to the south of France or go to Italy or go to Greece. So they're they're seeing some weakness in occupancy, especially um, on the high end, and could see further weakness if we do go into a recession um, as people paring back on, on some of their sort of vacation trips. And then small and mid-sized cities have actually seen um, really uh, healthy growth, and that's actually remained so. And that we see and just people exploring new and new areas of the country, and that has surprisingly surprisingly um, held up, uh, and we're seeing more and more in demand uh, in those type of cities. Got it. So it sounds like a couple different things are at play here, in part changing patterns as far as where people are traveling, whether domestically or internationally, probably impacted also by the strength of the dollar, international travel not having fully picked up. And then I heard you say a couple of things that I want to press on a little bit. One was that people are making decisions based on, I don't recall your exact phrasing, but maybe around um, what's more affordable. And then you use the R word a couple of times, the recession that we keep hearing about <laughs> and that keeps not hitting. So tell me what's going on with this recession? What is your professional opinion? Yeah. So it's, I remember back to this time last year when we released our mid-year outlook report, like there is, and we talked about a 50-50 chance of recession over the next year. Well, a year later, and we still haven't had a recession, albeit we did have maybe a technical recession of two quarters of declining GDP, uh, given sort of the overall strength of the labor market, record low unemployment. My opinion is we did not have a recession and we still see, and we're at 3.7% unemployment uh, today. And that that was up. And maybe that's a bit of a, a mixed signal that we got in the latest economic data. Uh, so last month, there was 339,000 new jobs added. And that's really strong demand growth. So you think back to a sort of healthy figure for typical um, employment gains, and healthy is like 200 to 250,000 new jobs being added to the economy. We're now running a three-month moving average well above that. We've got, we're getting consistent uh, job games well above that. We are not in recession and we're still sort of so healthy that we're seeing elevated levels of wage growth, which is what the Fed's sort of trying to cause to come down and and pull uh, the inflationary pay, uh, pressures uh, down. So overall, the economy and the figures that I'm looking at that correlate most strongly with travel and consumer spending are all doing great. And we're still seeing job grains, uh, really low unemployment. We're still seeing, importantly, real personal income go up. So people are, their wages are growing um, above their expenses. So broadly, we're in a healthy pace place for continued economic growth. That said, the chance of recession over the next 12 months is still around 50%. Uh, so there's still 
a high likelihood that we could go into recession over the next 12 months. Uh, we get data from Oxford Economics that drives our forecast for the industry. So uh, we get our baseline scenario. So what we actually expect to happen to the economy over the next couple of years from Oxford. And Oxford is calling for a recession uh, in the back half of 2023. They see that what the Fed does in terms of rising interest rates, the impact that that, they call it lagged, albeit it doesn't happen. We don't see the impact immediately. It takes six to 12 months for that to show up. And given that the Fed has been raising interest rates for 15 months now, we're only just beginning to see the impact of uh, the Fed raising interest rates. So in our industry is a great example. These are really the first few months, the most recent ones, where we've started to see the impact of the Fed's um, Fed raising rates and lower supply growth. So it could entirely be that over the next six months, we start to see some really bad economic um, statistics showing up and we go into recession. Personally, I think I'm just how good the economic data is coming out, how strong the labor market is. And I think most importantly, how much excess savings uh, consumers still have. So during the pandemic, we all built up I'm, a lot of excess savings in our, our personal bank accounts um, that were able to draw down. And we still see it's, I'm, I think, one and a half trillion dollars of excess savings that consumers still have. And also that businesses have been really reluctant to get rid of employees, given how hard it was to hire over the past year and a half. So even if you see maybe a little bit of weakness in your sort of sales, you're not going to all, all of a sudden start firing people and start really paring back, given how hard it was for you to, to add those people in. And given that and most economists are economists are calling for a mild recession. You're like, ah, maybe I'll hold on. And as long as things don't get too bad, I don't want to get rid of these great people and have to try to hire them maybe back like six to 12 months from now. It's just too much work to train. Um, it take took way too long to find these people. Let, let's sort of pause on hiring and, and see what happens. Super helpful. So just to paraphrase you a little bit, tell me if I got this right. It sounds like we're still heading for this recession everyone's been talking about, but a recession is not a recession is not a recession. This recession doesn't sound like it's absolutely apocalyptic. So nobody should be expecting an incoming disaster. And it sounds like the economy is starting in a lot of ways from a position of strength in that the labor market's very strong. All of these businesses hired people when it was very hard to hire and are reluctant to let them go. People have been saving their money. And I think for our industry specifically, people are still prioritizing travel spending with the disposable income and savings that they do have. So if I'm hearing you correctly, we're basically saying a recession is still expected by the majority of economists, but it would not be expected to be as bad as recent past recessions. And for our industry specifically, it sounds like the outlook is maybe even a little bit brighter than just mild recession because we're seeing some some good resiliency. Is that the right way to think about it? Absolutely. Um, in Oxford's baseline scenario, it's only two quarters of negative GDP. Uh, and then 
when you look at it annually, it doesn't actually go negative. So they're expecting, and for cons- some context, we had 2.1% GDP growth last year. Their outlook is for 1.3% growth in 2023, given the first two quarters are essentially already known, like we know they're going to be positive, some weakness in the back half. And then in 2024, they've got growth of 0.4%. So weak, but not negative. And then growing off of that. And then when we sort of take that economic data, run it through our models, we still get positive economic or industry growth in our different scenarios. So our baseline scenario, our our expectation for for the next year is continued growth, even though we have a uh, recession in that scenario. Uh, So we're expecting a 10% demand growth in 2023 and 8.5% demand growth in 2024. And that range in 2024 goes from in the downside scenario and where Oxford is anticipating a more moderate uh, recession of only 5% growth in demand in 2024, where in the upside scenario, which is essentially we skate through this without a recession and see pretty positive economic growth, uh, that uh, means demand reaccelerates in 2024, and we get uh, 16% demand growth, which would mean further positive occupancy gains in 2024. Essentially, we reverse the occupancy losses we've been seeing over the past year and a half. I think that might have counted as a little preview of our forecast. <laughs> Is that <laughs> Where could people get a little bit more granularity into what you're expecting to happen in the industry? Yeah, so um, your forecast product. Yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend everyone read our new mid-year outlook that just came out. You'll get the sort of detailed view, uh, and then um, we're now going to start including um, the forecast for for our subscribers um, that um, have access to our our dashboards to our more robust enterprise platform. And they can see our forecast by location type, of which we give the overview for in the Outlook report. So yes, uh, we've got a decline in RevPAR of minus 1.1%. Yes, this is the first time in the history of AirDNA reporting data on the industry. So we started in 2014. This is our first year of declining RevPAR um, that we expect to happen. And then we expect essentially RevPAR to be flat next year. So further declines in occupancy, uh, but offset roughly by ADR, slight ADR growth, so up 1.7%. And then that varies. We're seeing further red part increases in the small and mid-sized cities. That's where we're still seeing I'm really positive uh, things happening for the industry. I love that it takes the demand outside of the typical areas that people are traveling to. So it moves it outside of some of the large cities, it moves it outside some of the typical mountain and beach areas and sort of spreads it out. Uh, I know a lot of our DMO clients of the destination marketing organizations that are sort of promoting these areas. Um, Short-term rentals are a real bright spot for them in terms of attracting new demands. There's not a lot of hotels in a lot of these areas for people to stay in. So short-term rentals are really the only opportunity for them. Uh, and these are some of the brightest areas that we're sort of directing people to 
on where short-term rental investments still make sense. Um, and it's where we're seeing the fastest growth in supply. And most of that supply is being readily absorbed and we're seeing further gains for the industry. Super helpful. I was going to, so you're basically saying if you're an investor, look in places that are maybe a little bit off the beaten path, still good investment areas given the market outlook and, and what has happened in the past couple of years. Do you have any other tips for people who are trying to navigate this time? Maybe also for people who have existing properties who are hosting, what would you advise them to be thinking about? Yeah, uh, we're definitely seeing a reversion to the mean in terms of occupancy. I think I've talked about on the podcast, I definitely went through it at the scale conference in Barcelona. Uh, typically occupancy for hotels, occupancy for short-term rentals and has a long run average that we oscillate above and below during different uh, parts of the cycle. Uh, so during great times, like we saw in 2021 and 2022, we sort of got above sort of long run average occupancy. But once that happens, that sort of leads people to invest, come in, which is what we saw in 2022 with the massive supply growth that the and industry was is still realizing, which then causes occupancy to come back down and it can sort of dip down and we sort of get back to that long run average occupancy. So when investing in markets, when looking at different performance, when using our rentalizer tool, we're going to report on what that listing would earn and our expectation, like given recent history. Mm -hmm. But I would always recommend people get comfortable with, okay, what was that property earning in 2018, 2019? What what was market averages then? And if that's significantly lower, significantly higher than where we're at now, then maybe I think about I'm, that investment and what would happen if it went back to those 2018, 2019 averages. If you're in an urban area, there's potentially an opportunity that it could go up. And given that international demand, I suspect will come back, uh, given and other aspects of the market sort of reverting back to uh, the good times. And in areas that have seen really high occupancy over the past year, if it comes back down to those areas, or down to those levels, I'm, what would that mean? And would your investment still make sense? And if not, like may, maybe rethink what you're doing because we are seeing a lot of investors out there maybe get surprised uh, by the falling occupancy levels, by the weakness in ADRs and expecting those 2021 levels to continue forever. Um, and that's typically not going to be the case, whether it's they were underperforming or overperforming uh, given recent history. Mm. So what I'm hearing is make sure that the sensitivity of your investment, you're not only considering recent history and perhaps accidentally indexing off of highs or lows, and instead look back a few more years to make sure that you're ready for all scenarios because this industry, like many others, is cyclical and there's an above and below an average um, that you should make sure that in the peaks and troughs, to bring it back to the trough of disillusionment, we're <laughs> thinking you're still going to be fine. Absolutely. Uh, any parting thoughts that you wanted to add, Jamie, on uh, the outlook report, our forecasts, macroeconomic outlook? What else should be yeah. in their minds? 
No, I, I think we can wrap it up. I think that was a good review. And we are getting now into summer travel. So wish everyone uh, happy travels this summer. Hope everyone's taking some time off, even during sort of the busy summer travel period that I know this industry has and uh, finding some time to relax and have some fun. And the same goes for you, Jamie. <laughs> you as well, All right. Jamie. All right. Thank you again for having me. This was such a fun introduction to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, and thanks, everyone, for listening in. Bye.